have you ever tried to do something your way, even when you know there's a better way or somebody tells you there's a better way, but you're just like, I'm going to keep doing it my way? Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Um, that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning. So thanks for being here today. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 3, you can do that. Uh, and I want to say again, uh, thank you, Steve. Um, happy Father's Day. If you're a father in the room, my, um, my, my son is here. My dad is here. My uncle is here, my father-in-law is here, and my grandfather is here. So uh, that whole row is basically, or two rows are my family. Uh, so basically uh, filling in for Dustin today, he's going to be appreciative because uh, maybe our attendance numbers will even go up at Five Forks. Like <laughs> Pat's, Pat's bringing the whole family over, uh, literally the whole family. Uh, but Dustin's preaching downtown this morning, and so I'm thankful to be with you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Pat. I'm one of the executive pastors along with Steve, and I'm also on our teaching team and so I'm usually out here at least two times a year at this campus, but um, I do the welcome too. And I love being able to hang out with you guys. Five Forks is a great campus to be at, and I live in Five Forks area, so it feels like home anyway. Um, Exodus chapter 3 is a great, um, a great uh, couple of chapters, and, and really we're talking about 3 and 4, and it's a lot to cover, okay, in, in a short amount of time. Uh, and so it's, in order to do that, I'm not going to be able to read every verse, so I'm going to encourage you to go home and actually read uh, the whole chapters and kind of look into those. Uh, that would be a really fantastic thing. But I am going to read a lot of scripture today, and I'm going to cover a lot of it. So hopefully you're going to be able to kind of follow along uh, with me. But I thought being Father's Day and also tomorrow being Juneteenth, which is uh, when the last slaves in the U.S. Uh, found out that they were freed, this really is a great reminder and a great message for us because it's about the deliverance of God and how God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt and how he is the one we should trust. He is the good father that we can lean on. And so I'm excited to, to be able to share this with you this morning. And the first service was really engaged, so I'm going to need you guys to be engaged too, all right? Um, so we're excited to do that. I didn't want to kind of catch you up on this background of where we are. Chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus really move super fast over a long period, or long period of time in a very quick uh, short time in Scripture. And so uh, we start off, there's a king that it says, knew not Joseph, all right? There's a new king who arose in Egypt who did not know who Joseph was. And let me just share why this is important for a second. Because the reason that Israel, the reason that the Hebrews are in Egypt to start with is because Joseph, this brother that his other brothers despised, was sold into slavery himself, rose to a place of prominence and a place of power, interpreted dreams uh, for Pharaoh at the time, and because of this prominence that God actually placed in his life, he actually prepared Egypt for this famine that was to come. And when that famine happened and his own family needed help, he was in the, the perfect place to actually be a redeemer and, and save his family from this famine and actually bring them to Egypt. So the reason Israel is in Egypt to start with is a really cool story of redemption on how God used Joseph, in spite of the fact that his brother sold him into slavery, used him to actually bring his family to a place where they could be safe. And so this, this story is kind of circulated among the Hebrews and been reminded among them, and yet there arose a king who knew not Joseph. And what that tells us in this moment is that Israelites, the Hebrews at the moment, were not looked at as treasured. They were not looked at as redeemed. They were looked down upon. They were treated as slaves in Egypt and, and treated as the lowest class citizens. And so uh, this king, this pharaoh, who is now in charge, uh, rises to power. And Moses 
is a guy who actually mom actually put in a basket. I don't know, like today you'd get uh, DSS called on you, right? Like if you put your kid in the basket and roll them down the river, <laughs> like see, like we're like, hey, there's a, you know, we probably shouldn't do that in the reedy. Like it's kind of gross anyway. Like there's literally signs that are like, don't swim in this river, please. Um, and I don't even know, like there's snakes and crocodiles and stuff. Like you're going to put your baby in a basket and be like, avoid that crocodile, little infant. I don't know. Um, but Moses, that's the better outcome for him in her life is to literally float him down this dangerous river, okay? That's how scary the world was uh, for him. Finds himself in Pharaoh's house and actually becomes almost a prince, if you will, of Egypt. And so Moses rises to this place of wealth. He, he rises to this place of um, being brought into Pharaoh's house and being entrusted uh, with those things and having influence. And uh, then he begins to identify with his people. And we see in chapter 2, as he identifies with the Hebrews, the people who are being enslaved and, and being treated poorly, um, he wants to do something. And I started this out by saying sometimes we try things so hard, even though we know there's a better way. I'm OCD, and so like I've literally showed my family how to load the dishwasher, okay? And if they don't load it properly, I go behind them and fix it and have them come see what I did so that they can learn how to do it right. And my wife said, like, one day, she's like, well, that's how you want to load it. And I was like, no, this is what the manufacturer, this is how they set this up. Like, these are for bowls, okay? Like, I'm that OCD. I'm like, we got to have this right, all right? And so um, Moses is kind of like, I'm going to push this through. I'm identifying with my people. I want to save them. I want to help them. And he comes up with some of his kinsmen who are being um, attacked by this Egyptian. And he kind of looks around. He noticed nobody's looking. And he kills uh, this Egyptian and buries him in the sand. And then later, he actually sees those same Hebrews. And instead of being grateful, they say, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us? You're, you're this prince. And now you're going to come and get us. And they kind of mock him. And Moses realizes in that moment, man, word's gotten out. These guys aren't grateful. This is not going to work. And Pharaoh's going to have my head if he knows what I've done. So at 40 years old, Moses leaves and goes to the land of Midian. And while he's there, he marries a woman named Zipporah. And um, in this time, where we're going to start in verse, uh, or chapter 3, Moses is 80 years old. Okay, now I'll recognize that, that you read scripture sometimes and you're like, I don't know, that dude lived like 750 years. So, like, what does that even mean? But Moses lived 120 years, okay? And that's, that's still an admirable amount of time uh, to live. Um, but in Moses' day, at the time that we find this, he is two-thirds of the way through his life. And let me just say... Why Father's Day can be important is I'm grateful for the people who have gone before us and set that example. Um, my own 97-year-old grandfather is here today and has set that example. And my dad has set that example and gone before us to, to place an influence in our lives to help us follow Jesus better. And Moses, as an 80-year-old, is what, who encounters Jesus or in the burning bush. And so I'm going to cover some of that today, even though last week we talked about the burning bush, we're going to have some of the same verses, but today we're really talking more so about the deliverance of Israel. So let me read the first six verses here in chapter three. It says, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. There's so much about this that I know Dustin last week really kind of went into that I just want to um, be able to touch is that uh, it starts off by telling us Moses is a shepherd tending his, this flock of his father-in-law. And that tells us a couple of things. Uh, one, for an Egyptian, a shepherd is like the lowest of the low, right? Like that is the thing you don't want to do is be a shepherd. You're like, please uh, don't make me go out there with the sheep, right? Um, you don't even have an iPhone to play on while you're out there. You're just out there watching sheep graze, okay? Um, it was kind of considered uh, uh, too low for an Egyptian. So Moses, in, in, in being a shepherd in this place, is actually kind of identified with his people even more. You can see how he's abandoned his identity as an Egyptian, and he's embraced his identity as a Hebrew. Um, also, he's working for his father-in-law, and he's 80 years old. And I think all of us would probably agree, that's, that's not something you want to do at 80, right? You don't want to be like, my father-in-law is my boss at 80 years old. I love my father-in-law. He's great. But I'm also like, you know, 80 years old, you kind of want to be on your own. So uh, Moses, working for his father-in-law here, um, he's 80 years old, and, and he encounters this bush that's burning uh, in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever, um, has anybody ever, like, after Christmas, you put your Christmas tree in a bonfire? You know what I'm talking about? Like, and then it goes up like that, right? I mean, the thing just, like, explodes with fire. If you haven't done that this Christmas, you're like, I'm going to do that. And um, we have a fake tree in my house, so that would be, it would just melt at my house. But if you have a real tree and you light on fire, it just kind of explodes at the end of that time <clears throat> because it's dried out. And you're thinking in your head, I just had that in my house. Like that was in the room below my child's bedroom. And I had a real tree that will explode. Uh, it will change your opinion on uh, Christmas trees for sure. Um, but this bush in the wilderness, uh, this dried out bush would have gone up in flames and it would have burned out really quickly. And it would have provided maybe some warmth, all right, for a second, because uh, that, that's a nice thing to have when you're out there in the wilderness with some sheep. You're like, let's go ahead and like, let's cook dinner. I would like that. But it's going to burn up really quick. A bush is not going to last long. All those leaves are going are gonna to go really quick. We just this year uh, got our old hydrangea blooms that had all dried out and put them in the uh, fire pit. And that's pretty cool too, right? Like you should try that. Um, but it would, it'll burn up like that, okay? And then there's like cool like fireworks that go off uh, after it. Um, some of y'all are like, ooh, I'm going to dry out some hydrangeas tonight. Um, but in this story, what's really cool is that Moses is like, I see this bush burning. Let's go find out what's going on. And God says, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. Now, this was not an unusual thing. If you went to somebody's house that was um, somebody who was your superior, you would take off your shoes because you wouldn't want to bring in all that stuff that you brought with you. I mean, there was a lot more animals walking the streets that day, if you can kind of follow me a little bit, all right? And so you would take your shoes off to be in the presence of someone superior that was not unusual. Today, I would probably say, please keep those shoes on. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of people. I'd be like, please keep your shoes on. That would actually respect me a little more. But in Moses' day, this was a normal thing. And God calls out Moses, Moses. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it, it kind of reminded me of the road to Damascus. 
when uh, Saul, who becomes Paul, is walking on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears, and he says, Saul, Saul. And I'm like, why, why this double name? Why, why would that be there? And it's what we call the repetition of endearment. When you see that name twice, it's, it's not just going, hey, I need to get your attention. There's a personalness that happens in that. That as God even approaches Moses, he says, Moses, Moses, I know you. You know me. I'm your God. Let's have a conversation. It's something so much more than just, hey, you over there, get over here. He says, I know you and I care about you. Please come in. When I was a kid, my dad used to call me Pat Pat. It was like a little nickname. It's the same way. It's this term of endearment as God reaches out to Moses and says, please come in here. In fact, many people say this as a theophany. A theophany is in Scripture in the Old Testament. There's 67 times in the Old Testament that we believe to be theophanies where Jesus actually was the one who was present in that moment and show up there. And in that moment, God says, I am who I am. And that was the message last week as Dustin preached that, I am who I am. But more accurately translated, it can be translated, I be who I be. I read one pastor who said uh, this, before you get my name, you get my being. What a beautiful thing that God says, let me describe to you who I am and my essence before you get my name. Because God is a God who is a promise keeper, and God always keeps his promises. And leading into this message this morning is something we have to remember, that God always keeps his promises for us. And God has made promises to us and for us. I think sometimes we can read scripture and we can say, oh yeah, this is a promise for me, when really that promise may have been for Moses or somebody else. But God has made promises to deliver us, his people. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the first thing is that God's plan is to deliver his people. In verse 7, he says this. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I don't want you to forget here that this is a burning bush that is speaking to, to Moses in the middle of this wilderness as he's removed his shoes. Probably hear crickets in the background. If even in your mind you can just picture being out under the stars and seeing in this moment having this relationship with the Lord, where the Lord is saying, I will deliver your people. I think it's really interesting that God uses a, a burning bush. I really think that's interesting because a fire, as I said, like we, we don't have uh, a fire pit without my kids thinking that s'mores are coming. Like none of y'all, we'll do a fire pit. They're like, where's the marshmallows? I'm like, well, we don't have marshmallows. And so why do we start a fire? You know, like it's, they go hand in hand. Um, but, uh, but man, I love a fire pit. If it's a cool fall night and you've just got that fire going, right, like it's a great thing. And some of y'all just want to go out there and listen to the crackle of the fire. Some of you are, I'm a little more indoorsy, right? So you're like, let's I just put it on the screen. Like I'm good with looking at a fire, all right? Uh, so maybe you're that way. But a fire can be a very comforting thing, especially uh, if you find yourself out somewhere in the wilderness, you, you want a fire to keep you warm. 
if you watch Alone or shows like that, like that's the first thing they're trying to do is start a fire. But there's also fire can be a terrible and terrifying thing. Um, for, for 20 years, I was a student pastor, okay? And at my last church, it wasn't this church, um, we showed up at this family's house in the fall to have a, a big bonfire. And uh, we, we built this huge bonfire. It was taller than I am. And it was a homeschool family's house. Now, we homeschooled for a while, so I, I'm not judging any homeschoolers. But typically, homeschoolers have a few more rules than other people. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just a normal thing, you know? And so um, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to be okay at, at this guy's house because, they're, you know, they're like, we don't allow peanut butter or whatever. You know, like, it's, it's, we wear tinfoil hats when we go to bed. I don't know. Like, um, it's just that world. And so um, we show up. We build this huge bonfire. Students start showing up. And the, his son goes, oh, man, you know, it would be so much fun. And he gets this rickety-looking ladder, attaches it to this tree, and climbs up in the tree. And I'm like, are you cool with your son doing this? He's like, oh, yeah, it's great. And he gets on a rope swing and swings on the rope swing. Now, where's the rope swing go? Right above the flames. Like, I mean, literally dipping his feet into the fire. And I'm like, I looked at Mel. I was like, well, this is my last day as a pastor. Like, this was it. I think I'm getting fired, like, after today. Um, but it's this kid's house. So, I mean, I guess maybe there's a loophole in that system. Um, his dad said it was okay. It was his house. But, uh, but then all these other kids start climbing the ladder, you know, to get up there and do this as well. I was like, I literally, this might be the worst day of my ministry. I don't know. Like these kids are all literally roasting themselves on top of a fire slowly, like a marshmallow. Um, and so I had to be the bad guy that's like, I'm sorry. Somehow I seem like I'm the only reasonable human here. Um, but this is not a good idea, okay, to actually to do that, which I guess is a youth pastor's job, but at the same time, I was like, this does not feel like it should be on the job description, keep kids from killing themselves on a fire. But it's a terrifying thing if you actually imagine what would happen if this kid fell into that fire. That's a terrible thought, right, a terrifying thought, because though a fire, that same fire we were getting the warmth from and enjoying hot dogs with and marshmallows with is also a very terrifying and scary thing. And so for God to show up, he's actually sharing in many ways to Moses who he is. He's the God who's personal and loves us and provides for us and delivers us. He's also a God who is way powerful and way capable and in a very healthy way we should fear him. In a very healthy way we should be aware of his power and his majesty and how great he is. And so as God shows up, he says, I am a deliverer. I think this is an interesting thing because all of us need a deliverer in our lives. All of us want a deliverer in our lives. There's things in our life that we simply are holding on to where there's troubles and challenges that we're walking through in life that we're like, God, please deliver me from this. And I, I don't want to just say, like, man, it's just easy. All you got to do is just pray a prayer and your bank account's going to be full. You're going to be delivered from that debt. Like, you know, if all you got to do, you're sick, all you got to do is pray and that sickness is gone. What God is saying is we have a sickness and that sickness is called sin. And that sin leads to death, which is eternal separation from him. And yet I have provided my son to be a deliverer for you, that by his shed blood, because of his sacrifice, you can have a relationship with God and spend an eternity with him forever. The deliverance that he brings is so much deeper and so much more than these tiny, trivial moments that we experience here, even though they may feel painful and challenging. And the deliverance that God brings is so much greater. Even in verse 12, he says, 
but I will be with you. He tells Moses, I will be with you. It's so important and comforting for us to know that God will be with us. This faith leads to obedience and obedience leads to the power of God in our lives. Let me just say this. God starts to pique Moses' interest. He starts to tell Moses what's going on and Moses is like, this is great. This is all great. But let me give you five reasons why this is not a good idea. I'm actually gonna cover those five reasons in a second. But he's like, let me give you five reasons. We do this. We're like, God, I'm, I'm great with where you want me to go. I think I love you. But being obedient, that's a whole different story. Actually following you in obedience and doing what you've asked me to do, actually reading scripture and going, this is how I'm supposed to live, this is going to create some sacrifice in my life. That's challenging. God's saying, exactly. I mean, like, good intentions are good, but, but God wants obedience from us. I had great intentions of eating well last month. <laughs> like, it did not happen, all right? That cheesecake shows up, and I'm like, all right, I'm weak. Like, let's go for the cheesecake, all right? At the end of the day, though, we have to realize, like, what God is asking for us is to care when it gets hard, is to care when it gets difficult, to be willing to be obedient that's rooted in our faith. Our faith is what drives our obedience for the Lord, not because we're trying hard, not because we feel like we got to do more, but because he has delivered us and he has saved us from the penalty of sin through the blood of Jesus. So therefore, our worship and the way that we live our lives is out of gratitude and thankfulness. And so when we praise him, when we give him worship, when we give him obedience in our lives, it's a motivation out of love. It's not a motivation out of guilt or a motivation out of, um, I, I owe something to God, an obligation. It's, it's, man, God has saved me and redeemed me. I want to give him everything. He deserves it all. He deserves everything in my life. And so that's what leads us to the second thing. God's plan is not dependent on us. I'm going to read one of these um, specific things out, and then I'm going to mention all five of the excuses that Moses gives, just to give you an example. But he says in verse 10, it says, Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses gave five excuses. This was one of them. Here's some of the other ones. He says in, in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, who am I? Who am I to actually be your mouthpiece? He felt inadequate. He felt like I'm not an adequate, good enough person to do this. God, I'm 80 years old. I left 40 years ago after killing a man and, and burying him in the sand. And, and I just, who am I to do this? Can you relate to this statement? Because I can relate to this statement. Then he goes in second when he says, what shall I say to them? He didn't even know if he knew enough. Back when I was growing up at our church, we had something called visitation. We did it on Tuesday nights. And so if you, if you visited a church on Sunday morning and you filled out the card, um, and then on Tuesday, somebody would knock on your door. And we wouldn't call first, because if we call first, you would be busy, all right? So you just show up. You like show up Tuesday, you knock on the door, you're like, hey, uh, you had a gate in your neighborhood. We jumped the gate. We came to your front door. Um, we're, we're here to, you know, see how you like the church, right? It was like full-on, hardcore, different environment than we live today. If you fill out our card or you text it to the, to the number, that's not how we operate here, okay? You don't have to worry about us showing at your house and being like, 
hey, like, we're here, and we're going to have an hour-long conversation you didn't want on your couch. Like, that's not, that's not how we roll. Um, but this is how we did back, back then, right? And I remember doing that the first time, and I felt like, oh, I don't even know what, if they ask me some weird question about, like, animals on the ark or, like, we're dinosaurs. I don't know. I'm, what am I going to say? I don't know the answers to these questions. Like, certainly not me. And so I promise, like, even when I was knocking on that door, I was way more nervous than the person answering the door. As much as you didn't want to be there, I was double, okay? But, like, I was also, like, I know I need to do this. I know I, I, I want to be somebody who is faithful in those things. But I, I feel like, what, what am I going to say to them? This is how Moses felt. What am I going to say? He said, even in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, they won't listen to my voice. He didn't think people would take him seriously. In chapter 2, as I mentioned, people mocked him when he tried to take things into his own hands. And then he said in those verses I read, the fourth excuse Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Now, what's interesting about this, the word Lord that he uses there is actually Adonai, okay? And so Adonai in itself means Lord, sovereign, master. So it's like saying, sovereign master, I'm not good enough. God's like, obviously, I, I am, right? That's the whole point. You literally just explained to me the problem, okay? Some of y'all are dads, and you're like, I have these conversations every day with my kids, like, and not that I'm sovereign master, I'm just saying, but you're like, yeah, I'm trying to explain it to you. That's, that's what you're not getting, okay? And then the last thing in, in verse 13 of chapter 4, Moses says, please send someone else. He's like, anybody else, Lord. Like, have you ever gotten to that point where you're like, I've tried to be nice, now I'm going to be blunt. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah, we're just busy that night. We're busy that night too. Look, we just don't want to hang out with you, okay? You know what I'm talking about? This is where Moses is at at this point, okay? He gets to the point where he's like, hey, just... Just send somebody else. I've, I've tried to explain these things to you. And in verse 13, it actually describes that this kindles the Lord's anger. God starts to get a little angry and frustrated at this point with Moses to say, listen, your brother Aaron is great at this. Let's include Aaron in this. I promise you I have a plan and I have a solution and you will trust me. Let's do this. Let me say this. God often provides a solution before we understand the problem. God often provides a solution before we understand the problem. Sometimes we think, God, I don't know if you've thought about this before, and God's like, Prom promise you I got it covered. That's why you can call me sovereign master. That's why you can call me Lord. That's why you can trust me. That's why you can lean into me. That's why if I have a plan, I promise you it's the best plan, because I'm God and you're not. So follow me. Uh, read, a, read from a pastor this week who said, Moses is guilty of using his past to justify his lack of obedience in the present. Moses is guilty of using his past to justify his lack of obedience in the present. Don't we do that so much? Isn't that so true of you and I? Whatever past struggles we've been through, whatever past traumas we've been through, we're like, man, I don't know. I don't want to get picked on by that person. Or, I, I, you know, I know that I've tried to teach or I've tried to speak or I've tried to lead and that didn't really work out very well. So that's not really me. That's not really the person I need to be. Um, and, and so we, we, we find all kinds of reasons or excuses to be disobedient to what God may be calling us to do. We find all kinds of reasons for us to take a step back and say, that may be somebody else's job, or maybe I could write a check or pray for that person. Maybe I can, um, you know, be on whatever phone thing I need to do, or I can, uh, but I certainly don't need to, need to walk forward in that. And yet God might be calling you out from your comfort zone. God might actually be drawing you out to lead other people. God may be drawing you out to lead leaders. One of the most humbling things being on staff at this church 
is that my entire team can do my job way better than I can do my job. But God didn't call them to do my job. He called me to do my job. I have to remind them of that sometimes. Because um, I'm like, I know y'all are smarter than me, okay? Like, I know that you're more capable than me. But the, the, that's a humbling thing to serve with such an incredible team that we have at our church here. It really is a humbling thing uh, to be surrounded by leaders. But we have to be reminded, I'm going to follow through with what God has for me. So God actually gives Moses three tricks, three things that he wants him to be able to use that are miracles to be able to authenticate his words to the people since Moses is so nervous. And one of them is to uh, Moses, one of them is to the Hebrews, and one of them is to the Egyptians. The first one is this, uh, is this rod that Moses has. Um, he tells him to throw his rod on the ground, and it actually turns into a serpent. And then he tells him to grab the serpent by the tail. Now, I'm not, I'm not like snake hunter or anything, okay? But... If you see a, a snake, don't grab it by the tail. That's the exact wrong spot to grab a snake, okay? If you grab it by the tail, that thing is, like, going to whip around and bite you, all right? Like, that's, or unless you got some really long arms, all right, like, and you want to hold it way far out, it's still going to come back up and get you somehow, all right? I'm not telling you to go grab any snakes, so don't be like, Pat told us to go handle snakes. Dustin was gone, and this place went <laughs> crazy, all right? Um, but if you're going to grab a snake, you grab it by the head, okay? But God tells Moses, grab the snake by the tail. And he's already run at this point, but he comes back, he grabs the snake by the tail, and it turns back into this rod. And so it's this picture to Moses of saying, now, Pharaoh had this crown that had a serpent on top of it. He was essentially their god of gods to the people of Egypt. And so God is saying, man, you know what? I have authority over him. Moses, you can trust me. You can lean into me. This is something you can believe in me for. And he tells him, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab your hand, and I want you to stick it into your cloak, and I want you to pull it back out. And when you do, it will look like a leprous hand. Now, leprosy was like COVID times 10. They weren't like, put on a mask. You know, please stay at home five days. They were like, you're living there for the rest of your life now, right? Like, they were like, get out. They didn't want that. Um, and so to have leprosy, uh, literally, you would be ousted from society. It was the scourge of society. And so Moses, as he pulls his hand out, uh, looks completely leprous. And then when he puts it back in and pulls it back out again, it's 100% healed. This message was never told to be delivered to Egyptians. It was uh, told to be delivered to Hebrews. And it was to be reminded that God is the deliverer. God is the healer. God is the one who is going to be able to save you and deliver you. And then the third thing he tells them to do is to actually get some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. And then when he pours it on the ground, the water of the Nile would actually turn to blood on the ground. And that did not change back. And the other ones, things moved back and forth. In this case, it stayed blood on the ground. Now, the Nile, if you've ever seen, like, pictures of Egypt, all right, it's a pretty dry place. Like, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a desert, okay? And the Nile brings life into Egypt. The Nile is actually what brings animals through. It's what brings soil through. There's like 30 feet of rich soil that come in every year on the Nile. So for an Egyptian, the Nile was life. If the Nile got rerouted or stopped up in some way, it would literally kill them. And so to pick up the water and pour it on the ground and it turned to blood was God saying, I control every bit of your life. That life itself is under my commands. So to the Egyptians, he made that statement. The Lord wants obedience from us that's rooted in faith. He wants, like Moses, 
for us to be able to lean into him, even though we may make excuses, even though we may run from him, even though we may pull back, God is saying, follow me in obedience, rooted in faith. Not out of sense of obligation, not out of sense of, I have to do this because somebody told me to, but out of a sense of, I have faith in the Lord and trust him to be able to follow through with the things that he's made promises to me about. Stephen is a guy in the New Testament, Acts chapter seven, you can read his story, who was a believer in Christ and a follower of Christ and was brought before this council to share about his faith and he preached a sermon. And he preached a sermon about Moses and the incredible faith that Moses had, even in spite of these fears that he had or even feeling like, some people felt like Moses was saying, I, I was, he stutters when he says I'm slow of speech. Even whatever inadequacies he felt like he had, yet Moses was a person who followed the Lord and he's speaking to Jewish people in this audience by explaining to them the gospel that Jesus has actually come to deliver all mankind through his blood. And the council in Acts chapter seven kills Stephen for his words. They stone him to death and he becomes a martyr. And the beauty of that picture is not like, hey, we're, we're just a bunch of martyrs that we wanna go out. It's just, is our life rooted in Christ so much that no matter what situation we face, we would be willing to stand for him. That no matter what challenges we face in life, no matter what obstacles we come up against, no matter what things in our life seem to be in the way, we would be willing to be obedient. So the question for us is not do you love the Lord? Because I think our church is full of people that love the Lord. The question for us this morning is, are we obeying him? Are we following him where he's calling us to go? Are we following through with the love that he showed us? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you incredibly for that love that you have shown us. I'm thankful that you gave your son uh, for us, that you have delivered us, that even today we are reminded of the deliverance that you offer us. And I pray for the person in this room that has never decided to follow you with their lives, not just love you, but to follow you, that today would be the day that they make that decision. And that God, you are just as present and just as real in this place and in this moment as you were with Moses in that wilderness, in a burning bush, speaking to him. In fact, you may even be more real in this moment through your Holy Spirit in our lives. So Father, I just pray that you speak to hearts this morning, that you would challenge us even now to surrender more and more of our lives as we lay down our lives for you, being willing to, to go wherever you call us to go, to do whatever you call us to do. God, help us to overcome those fears and obstacles and excuses that we make day in and day out about being obedient for you and help us to focus on what your mission and your goal is, not what our agenda is, but Father, simply surrendering to you and who you are. I love you and I thank you and I pray all these things in Jesus' name.